0: Well, hi, Gresham Bible Church, great to be together today, and I love, again, we have our brother Matt with us from halfway around the world. So today is our second-to-last sermon in our series together through Isaiah 40. I pray that it has been life-giving to you like it has to me. Today we're going to focus on verses 18 through 26, so I want to encourage you to make your way there, Isaiah 40, starting in chapter 18. And in our passage today, we're going to be confronted by and comforted by the incomparability of God. I think you'd probably agree with me in our day and age, don't we compare a lot of things in our day-to-day lives? We compare reviews, we compare Amazon ratings that help inform little and big decisions that we make. For those of you, this may be what came to mind, those of you that have sold or bought a home or something of the sort, you a key part in that deciding what you're going to price your property or what you want to buy something for are comps, right? What are comparable properties in my general area that'll help inform how much I list my property for or how much I buy it? So comps, Comparability is important in our day-to-day life. And we're going to see on the pages of scripture, it is critical for the health of our souls as well. So Isaiah 40 verses 18 through 26, I'm going to read it out loud for us now. This is God's word. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman cast it And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Please join me in prayer before we dive into God's word together. Father God, we need to hear from you today through your word. Change us now and comfort us with your truth and your grace. Lift our eyes and our affections from ourselves to you. Father, open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to see three different things in our text today. First, to whom will you compare God? Second is counterfeit gods. And then the third point is the incomparable God. So first, the question our text presents before us, to whom will you compare God? So we've seen, I think by now, we all know what's driving Isaiah 40, right? Remember back in verse one, just look at it again real quick. It's to comfort, comfort God's people preparing them for their exile, and then it would comfort them in their exile, right? And then these two questions have comfort in your mind. There's two questions that are driving our text in verses 18 and 25. First question in 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? And then second to last verse that we're gonna be in today, verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him Says the Holy One. So our passage is bookended by two questions. And in response to the first question in verse 18, we're going to see the comparison of God with false gods, of gods with idols. And when you look at the whole book of Isaiah, this is just important for you to have, like, as a category in your mind. When you look at the whole book of Isaiah, this passage here functions as a launching off pad in the rest of Isaiah for how many times Isaiah is going to compare God Almighty with idols. And the idols in the rest of Isaiah, God mocks them. He mocks them. That's what happens here and throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah. The verses are basically going to compare and contrast between the creator and the creature distinction, there's God, and then there's everything else that's been created. And the comparison is a comparison of power, of God's power as creator, and then a comparison of who ultimately saves, of what these two things that are be comparing, what do they do to you, is kind of the essence of the comparison. So, just point of reference, real quick. Uh, two things. A few chapters later, in chapter forty-four, God declares that He's King and Redeemer. He's the first and the last. And then, right after that, said, then the comparison with idols happens, and you see idols as their folly, their futile. God basically mocks them again. And then, in chapter forty-six, same comparison. It's God who creates who carries and who saves. And then in Isaiah 46 verses five through seven should be a slide for this. Verse five starts with this. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a God. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it, the idol, They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. So this is the same comparison that happens in our text and throughout the book of Isaiah. And when you think about that comparison of God and idols, that has an assumption baked into it, doesn't it? It assumes that everyone worships. If you're comparing God and idols, the assumption is you're gonna worship something or someone, right? So the assumption is that everyone worships. And I just wanna make sure we're crystal clear on this so it isn't just flying over our heads, okay? When you think about it, isn't that still true today? Even in our secular post-Christian culture now everyone still worships. In every time, in every place, in every culture, people look to someone or something for their identity, security, significance, and happiness. Everyone looks to something to give it meaning and purpose to save it, right? To have significance. Everyone's worshipers, everyone you've encountered this last week as a worshiper, everyone you're going to encounter this next week is a worshiper. So the question then that this comparison highlights for us isn't if we worship, because again, we all trust in someone or something for this. The question is who or what we worship. So we're going to have that in our minds and press in to this comparison in verses 18 through 26. And that brings us to who God is is compared to, our second point, counterfeit gods. Who is God compared with? Look right down at verses 18 through 20. What's God's word say in front of you? To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains." he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So in order to fully understand the comparison here in in Isaiah 40, we have to have a biblical understanding, a biblical view of what idols are because that's what God is being compared to here, right? That way we're gonna really feel and see the comparison and the contrast that's happening here in our text. So when bringing up the biblical theme of idols, a modern day objection is that that was way in the past. We've evolved way past idols. I've watched Indiana Jones. I don't see the temple of doom happening around me all the time, right? Idols, something we've moved past from. But God's word, with God's word as your reference point, idolatry, idols are still around us everywhere we look all the time, right? So when you hear about idolatry, maybe you have this old idea of like what pagan cultures used to worship, like a God of the sky, an idol of like fertility and the harvest and all these different old statues that were bowed down to and worshiped, right? But again, biblically speaking, we want to have our understanding informed by the Bible What is idolatry? Like, where does it happen? And it really doesn't happen like out here or in temples or statues. What God's word says first and primarily is it happens in here, in our heart. The real sin of idolatry is internal, of bowing in your heart to something, right? Because the Bible defines our heart as the core, the control center of who we are, of our desires, of our will, of what we love, okay? So for example, just real quick, I want you to file this away. Check me on this during the week. Go back and look at this. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse three, God says about the spiritual leaders, the elders of Israel says, these men have set up idols in their hearts. So real idolatry happens inside of us. It's not just the statue that it represents. Idolatry is often an outward manifestation of an inward reality of false worship. That's what's happening here in verses 19 and 20 with this false God that's being furnished by this craftsman. So again, what is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our identity, our security, our significance, and our happiness. It's looking to someone or something to give you ultimately only what God can give you. In other words, like at a functional level, like the gears of your heart kind of way, it's trusting in a created thing for your righteousness. That's what idolatry is, okay? It's, and it's often when you press into this, Idolatry is often making a good thing into an ultimate thing, of making a good thing into a God kind of thing. Okay, that's idolatry. So let's think about it real quick. In order to feel the weight of the contrast here in Isaiah 40, we have to make sure the categories in our minds and hearts are biblical ones, okay? Think about the 10 commandments. What's the first of the 10 commandments? It's to have no other gods before me. There's a reason, it's not by accident, that is the first of the 10 commandments. Because you don't break the rest of the 10 commandments without first breaking the first commandment. The sin underneath our sin is the sin of idolatry, of looking to someone or something to give you only what God can give you. So, so real quick, picture with me, Mike, that all sounds really well and good. Picture what that looks like in your life or maybe for those of you with parent that are parents with kids in your home here's what this means why do you or why do your kids lie you lie in that moment because your idol is approval because what you really value most in that moment of when you didn't tell the truth when you lied it's because you valued your reputation and that person's approval more than you value God so you lie So the idolatry in your heart has an outward manifestation and it informs who and what we do. It's the sin underneath our sin. And so that you don't think I'm just making that up, okay, in the New Testament, Colossians chapter three, verses five and six says this, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So in Colossians 3, God says the root of coveting is idolatry. So again, the sin behind your sin is idolatry. So we can make anything into an idol and it's almost never just a statue, okay? So don't dismiss idolatry like you've moved past it or we've moved past it We haven't. There's idols all over the place and there's idols in each of our hearts too. So to summarize, this is a key important theme throughout the Old and the New Testament. Idolatry is that when we look to a created thing to give us what only God can give us, that's idolatry and an idol is what? An idol is a counterfeit God, okay? So that's the essence, the nature, the dynamic of the comparison we're seeing right here in Isaiah chapter 40, where this craftsman builds an idol. He's given work orders to build it. (laughs) Why do they want him to make an idol? It's because of what idolatry really is. It's the creature worshiping the creation for really only what the creator can ultimately provide. And then it's not just like, okay, that's different idols and God in nature. It's also a comparison and a contrast in power and what that does to us. And this comparison, I I don't want you to leave here today and not like really hear this. This comparison you see right on the pages of scripture in front of you is a comparison that's still valid today. That's because every culture, every class, every vocation Every person, when you think about it, every family, every family unit has a particular set of idols. Pastor and author Tim Keller said this, listen to this quote. Every community and individual that is not based on the glory and grace of God is going to be based on a created thing in its place. So the sin of idolatry really matters and it really informs our day-to-day lives. And then I just, I don't want us to miss this. Not only, so to compound things, right? Idols can be particularly deceptive. Like you can be nodding with me like, yeah, Mike, our culture has a really huge problem with idols, I totally agree with you. The idol of money, maybe even the idol of science, preach it, Mike. But I want us to hear like the real idol that we all have a problem with is the idol of good things that we make into ultimate things, okay? Okay. So an idol has been described as anything you say in your heart of hearts, if someone injected you with truth serum, in your heart of hearts, you would say, if I have that thing, maybe even a good thing, if I have that, then my life will have purpose, have value, have happiness, okay? So an idol can be anything, especially good things. So let's press into this it's getting uncomfortable and that is good and that's okay an idol can be your family or children a career or making money a relationship your skill or health or your image your comfort or lifestyle an idol can be your intelligence your work ethic your social status your idol can be your politics It can be people's approval. And you know what idols can even be for those of us in this room that profess faith in Christ? An idol can even be your own moral record, your own performance as a Christian because in your heart of hearts, you think that is what gives you standing before God rather than the gospel. So idols function in these particular kind of ways and they masquerade most often and most dangerously as good things that we make into God things. And again, idols like inherently unconsciously attract us because they're like preaching to us where we find our righteousness, right? Why do I matter? Where do I get my identity? Idols, present as something that is going to satisfy us when they don't. And if we're being honest, the default setting of all of our hearts is to worship idols, is to make good things into ultimate things. So think about that category of idolatry. Look down at verses 19 and 20 of this craftsman building a statue. And then when you think about it, the pagan cultures were very much just like ours the cultures of old and cultures all around the world today in having an idol for everything because everything and anything anything can be an idol especially good things okay psalm 115 is a passage that I wanna ground us in this is what God's word has to say about idolatry and why it's important that we get this so we can feel the weight of the comparison. Psalm 115 also compares and contrasts God's greatness over and against idols. Psalm 115, verses two through eight, there should be a slide, follow along with me, see what it says, same thing about idols. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, those who make idols, become like them so do all who trust in them. So our worship of idols is not neutral, is it? The curse of idols is that we become just like them. We become like the very counterfeit gods that we worship. That's a key theme throughout scripture. You become like what you worship. So this comparison between idols and God, don't just dismiss it. It presses into the very nature of who we are, okay? So idols never deliver. And how do they not deliver? That's the comparison, the contrast, God's power and his deliverance over and against idols. Idols never deliver. And that's because idols destroy us and idols disappoint us. I I want you to like hear this, okay? Idols destroy us. And how do they destroy us? If the center of who you are, your worship center is your heart, the problem of of idolatry is first internal. That means that idols destroy us from the inside out. Some of you maybe have heard this quote before. I I still wanna read it for all of us to consider this. It's by a guy named David Foster Wallace. This quote I'm gonna read you here in a minute. It's from a really famous commencement speech that he gave. Uh, Foster Wallace was like a postmodern writer, novelist, award-winning, best-selling, okay? And as far as I know, He was an atheist. And I also want you to know, because I think it's important for you to hear this, what I'm gonna read to you, know that a few years after he gave this quote, he committed suicide. Listen to what Foster Wallace says about worship and counterfeit gods and how idols destroy us. This is David Foster Wallace. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they, not that they are evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. Something will eat you alive. So idols can't save you. Idols will destroy you. And how they do it is you become just like them. That's the curse of worshiping idols. And when you think about it, Don't idols always demand a sacrifice? Again, Indiana Jones movies, the idols always demand sacrifices, right? Well, they still do today. For David Foster Wallace, something ate him alive and it did it from the inside out. The curse of worshiping idols, again, is that you'll become like the idols because you become like what you worship. Okay, so what's the outcome of worshiping idols. We've seen this clearly, right? Idols can't save us. Idols curse us. Idols destroy us. That's the comparison that's happening here. And idols destroy us. And you know what they also do? They also disappoint us along the way towards our own destruction. In other words, idols are never satisfied. So I know there's a lot, but here's what I mean. I want you to like get this, okay? So... When I say that idols disappoint us, let's say your idol is fill in the blank, right? Maybe even in this moment, you're like, I've made my family an idol. I've made my career an idol. I've made my religious performance an idol. Whatever that is, right? That thing is going to end up wounding you. And here's what I mean. It's very ironic. Most of the time when people pursue and worship an idol, when they get the very thing they've been pursuing, they become disillusioned and disappointed by the very thing that they were seeking, right? So think about like, maybe you've seen like Behind the Music, all the different documentaries, or your, your favorite sports star, or maybe like a CEO or a millionaire. When they've made it, do they like take a deep breath and they're like satisfied? They don't, right? When they made it, they realize there's always another horizon, another mountaintop that they're still moving towards. They're never satisfied because the idols themselves are never satisfied, right? You become like what you worship, you become like an idol and an idol's never satisfied. So when you're worship of idols, you will never be satisfied no matter what you end up getting or making it, right? So when you think about it, idols deceive us thinking they'll satisfy us when you know what it's really like. It's like drinking a bunch of salt water, The idols kill us by spiritual dehydration as we become thirstier and thirstier. The idol of approval can never be approved of enough. The idol of power can never be powerful enough. The idol of beauty can never be beautiful enough. The idol of comfort can never be comfortable enough. The idol of success can never be successful enough. The idol of security will never be secure enough. Idols will always disappoint you, okay? Idols will destroy you, and along the way, they'll always disappoint you. And then remember, compare and contrast that to the purpose of Isaiah 40. Written to exiles to comfort God's people in preparation for exile and then in exile So haven't we seen? Does worshiping idols bring comfort? What I've just described briefly, it does not bring comfort at all, does it? It brings exhaustion and destruction, the opposite of comfort. So where is true comfort found? For God's peoples as as exiles then and us as God's people as exiles now, that brings us the comparison that our heart should be moving towards here in Isaiah chapter 40. Our third and final point, the incomparable God. Look down at verses 21 through 23 in front of you. There's absolutely no comparison between the counterfeit gods and the creator, holy God. Hear the power and care and glory of God in these verses. Verse 21, do you not know Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And then look down verses 25 through 26, our second question To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is incomparable. He is the creator and the sustainer of literally everyone and everything, of the earth, it says right here in Isaiah 40, of all peoples, of all rulers and powers, from the smallest like subatomic particle that science is just starting to wrap their minds on now to the galaxies and the universe itself. That's what these poetic verses are pointing us to. God calls the stars all by name, by the greatness of his might. And then what does verse 26 say? Because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Every star that should be there is because of God. Wow. God is incomparable. This is the God of incomparable power and greatness and glory all the wonder and all the glory of all creation are only pointers to this God who is matchless. Like there should be a sense of awe when we look at Isaiah 40 in front of us. God is the first cause and there is nothing or no one who compares to him, period. If Jesus tarries and People are still here a million years from now. God is still incomparable and he is still the first cause. Full stop, period. Okay, that's what Isaiah 40 is drawing us into. And then look again at verse 26. What's it say? What are we to do with this, right? Lift up your eyes on high. Who created these? This isn't just a box you check, It's not a fact you memorize, like you live into this, right? So think of a time in your life, think about awe and think about a time in your life where like you really like felt awe, like you experienced awe. What was that moment for you? I bet for a lot of us, it's right what Isaiah 40 is pointing us to. I bet it was on a night when you were away from the city and you were out in God's creation at the beach or on a mountain, and you looked up and you just saw majesty. You saw stars that your mind can't even comprehend that are just millions and millions and millions of light years away, and you, you can't even comprehend it, and you just had a sense of awe. Oh, I'm small, the universe is big, right? I bet that was your experience of awe. Think about in the history of the world, how many people, how many cultures, their experience of awe was looking up at that night sky and looking at God's stars. Now, what if with me do a quick thought experiment? I'm weird like this. Think about this. Every person's sense of awe and they had like a little awe tank on their back for the history of the world. And you dumped all the containers of the awe tanks into one like tub of awe. That would be like a feather on a scale right it would wouldn't even compare to what the awe of god is it would be like looking at the snow on mount hood all the awe that anyone has ever felt from the night sky from the stars would be like one snowflake on all the snow of mount hood all the snow on every mountain in north america and all the snow that's ever been on any mountain since god created the world and that wouldn't even like scratch the surface And yet, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look up. Look at these stars. God's saying, Look at these stars that I made. Compare me to an idol? That's what God is saying here. Our thoughts and awe of God are much, much too small. We cannot find the edges of God, God's power is incomparable. His loving care is incomparable. Look at what he does to the stars. He shepherds the stars, just like he did for us a few verses ago when we looked at God being our mighty shepherd. He shepherds the stars. And we know this, don't we? Like we know this intuitively. It's hard-coded into us as creatures. The voice of our creator goes out. Look at verse 21. That's what it's saying. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth, peoples of the earth who's ever lived, all creatures? Look up. Don't you see who God is? But what do we do with that? Romans 1 should be coming to mind right now. Romans 1 says we suppress the truth of God and we choose to worship what? the creation rather than the creator. So we don't, as worshipers, we don't have an information problem. We have a suppression problem, as it's been said, don't we? But then think about this comparison and contrast that we have right in front of us in Isaiah 40. Think about your suppression problem, but then think about God and idols, right? Who made the idol right here in Isaiah 40? A creature, a craftsman but God created the craftsman in his image to craft things, didn't he? The craftsman makes an idol from wood. So the creature's making something from another part of creation that that the creator made. The people want an idol with gold and cast for it silver chains, verse 19 says. But God forms and refines his people. Idols are part of creation and we've seen they can't help their worshipers. Idols, what, right? They only destroy us and disappoint us as worshipers. But God is a creator who saves, sustains and satisfies all who believe in him. Like feel the weight of this comparison here for your worship. God compares himself to an idol here because anything compared to God is an idol it's a created thing compared to the creator. And what do idols do? They destroy us and disappoint us because we as creatures take part of creation and we craft it into some sort of thing, some sort of God for us to worship, to give us meaning, to find our identity in, our security, and even our happiness. That's what we do as creatures but then compare that to who God is and what he has done as the creator. The creator who became the God-man, Jesus Christ, to save and satisfy his idol-worshiping creatures at great cost to himself. Hebrews 1.3 is talking about Jesus and it says this. Think about the awe of who God is and then hear Hebrews one verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is incomparable in power and in glory and in grace. Jesus is incomparable for what he does to save sinners like us. Philippians 2 says this about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So bottom line, underline it in your heart of hearts. Whatever idol you trust in, it didn't go to a cross to die for you. And the one who did that for you is the creator of the stars. Wow. The creator of the galaxies, the one who calls the stars by name, our text says, is the one who condescended, who came down to live the perfect life each of us should live and who died the death Each of us deserve for our sin of worshiping idols, of preferring worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And he did that to bring us home to himself that we can taste and be in his presence in his everlasting glory forever. That is good news for exiles, isn't it? God is incomparable. there's so much more to say, but I I just want to close with this. Um, Like we do often, if you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, we're really glad you're here. And I'd love to talk with you after this. Like, what do you do with this? (laughs) What do you do with this? There is design all over. Just look up. What do you do with who God is? And if that's you and you haven't trusted in him yet, I'd really encourage you to confess and repent of your sin of idolatry and come to trust and know this great and gracious God who tells us all who believe in him will never truly be disappointed. And for those of us who are Christians, I wanna give us the same encouragement. You've come to Christ, praise God. And yet how does this reality not drive us to confess and repent to, of us preferring worshiping the creation rather than the creator and being too easily pleased in worshiping other things than God. And maybe especially, I need to hear this often, I bet you do too, maybe especially the good things in your life, right? But those good things didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead to save you. Worshiping idols only exhausts you and destroys you. Only God offers us the comfort that we need and the comfort that we long for. So Gresham Bible Church, lift up your eyes and see. Behold your God from Isaiah 40, the incomparable one. Uh, We're gonna do something a little bit different today. I wanna give us just a minute or two just to sit and in your heart of hearts to have silence and talk with God about what you've heard today and maybe how God might be asking you to respond. And then I'm gonna pray for us. So just a minute or two for silent reflection. Father, we praise you that you are incomparable we confess and repent that too often we look to created things to give us what ultimately is only found in you. For any here today that don't know you yet, through your spirit, draw them to yourself and may they taste the glory and the grace and the comfort that's only found through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray you will comfort us as we look to you, satisfy us in you, with the steadfast love and faithfulness you provide through your gospel. Comfort us in our waiting as we long for the day of King Jesus' return. That's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.